Welcome to Around the Table, a podcast hosted by the Geneva School of Bernie. Please join Rhetoric School Headmaster Dirk Russell as he hosts conversations to foster growth, learning, and community to the glory of Jesus Christ. Welcome and thank you for listening to Around the Table. Uh, This is part two of our look at the virtue goodness. I'm joined once again by Dr. Eric Covington and Luis Arispe. Uh, Thank you guys for being here and and joining me. Thanks for having us back. So we established in the last podcast, uh, goodness is this virtue, but a part of goodness is that it's moving toward some greater good, that there has to be a telos, there has to be a target. And so in order to define or understand what goodness is, we have to know where it's going. And I'm going to propose that for us as followers of Jesus Christ living when we are, that a great telos to look at is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is introduced to us in Matthew chapter 5. And what I want us to do today is look particularly at the Beatitudes, Because in the Beatitudes that begin the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the blessed life, the happy life, and what that looks like. And what we'll find is that it is very counterintuitive. Uh, Jesus does not define the good life uh, in the way that uh, many living in the 21st century would define goodness. So before we get to Matthew chapter 5, though, I think... It's important to establish uh, the the context for Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 3, we have John the Baptist beginning to preach, and his message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying with the coming of Christ, with the coming of the Messiah into the world, something new is here. We're we're entering a new uh, phase of history, if you will. The end of chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So chapter 3 establishes we have a new king, and this new king is the son of God, and God the Father is pleased with him. That leads then into Matthew chapter 4, where we have the temptation of Jesus. And one of the temptations that Satan uh, offers is an easier road to the kingdom. Uh, Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you the kingdom's Uh, of the world. Of course, Jesus rejects that. And after he comes through that temptation, uh, Jesus begins preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that leads us directly then to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus delivers this famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the Beatitudes. And so let me just go ahead and read a couple of the, the opening verses and we'll open it up to talk about, about what Jesus is saying. He, he begins in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And then we get into, again, what are called the, the Beatitudes. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, because uh, I was struck by the fact that here we have this new king, we have this new law, if you will, not that Jesus is a lawgiver in the way that Moses is a lawgiver, but he begins this part of his ministry by going up on a mountain, much the same way that Moses went up on the mountain 
to receive the law of God. Am I reading too much into that, or is that a... It's not explicit in the text, but I think it's an interesting idea. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. There have been a number of people who have seen these sort of typological resonances between especially the book of Matthew and what's uh, the Torah, the first five books. Uh, one of the things that sort of separates Matthew out from the other Gospels is that they do have these like five sections of long Jesus teachings. Uh, and so people have looked at that and said there might even be some parallel between those and the five books mm. of Torah. Uh, and so there have been a number of different sort of ways of seeing, like, yeah, there is some deep connection with the revelation of God's self uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai uh, with now this full incarnate revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so then also uh, my mind goes to the, uh, the Johannine prologue, right? Grace, uh, the law indeed comes through Moses. Grace and truth indeed come through Jesus. And so not just in Matthew, but there are those parallels elsewhere uh, of establishing this teaching uh, as, as God's revelation for what it is. Uh, I think that the subtlety wouldn't be lost on the people. Yeah, indeed. You know, I think that those people that are, that are sitting there um, who are immersed in this culture, um, in this history, and it's it's everything to them that it's not lost on them that here is this guy going up the mountain and he's about to lay it down on us. Um, also, you, you know, contextually, they, you know, they were used to hearing prophets uh, castigating and saying, "Look, God's not happy with what's going on here." And he's told Bring me... Bring your worthless sacrifices <laughs> right. no more. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's not going to have it. I'm telling you, he's not going to have it. And he's already spoke. And here we have um, people who are somewhat confused. And they, they want to believe that he's the Messiah, but they're not very sure. And are, are you, you know, are you a prophet? Are you him? And he goes up to the mountain. And I think they're, they're very hopeful waiting to hear what he has to hear, uh, what he has to say. Um, I, I also think it's, uh, I want to say ironic, but I don't, I don't know that it's ironic. It's very much like Jesus to say, okay, so these are the things that are going to make you happy. And everyone goes, oh, whew. and then he says it. And then they go, oh man, that's, that's more Alanis Morissette. That's not, ironic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and true to form, you know, Jesus comes out and he's just swinging for the fences, right? So in the first beatitude, blessed are those, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and he goes on, and he goes on from there. And the things that he talks about, these are all I, I consider this to be the preamble for the rest of what he's about to say on the Sermon on the Mount. That it's count, like you were saying, it's counterintuitive, it's countercultural. The things that that we think are going to make us happy are hard to do. And in the front end, I'm kind of not happy about that. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it is for our good. Um, and he comes out swinging for the fences, like I was saying, by saying that unless you can understand, unless you can admit that you are poor in spirit, everything else that I'm about to say isn't going to matter anything to you. Yeah, and we'll, we'll dig into these a lot more, but I think it's important... Uh, to say that Jesus isn't saying that uh, being poor in spirit is the pathway 
to blessing. As if he were to say, right. okay, just hang on, be poor in spirit for a little while, and then I'll give you the good stuff, right? Being poor in spirit, that is the good life. And he'll explain, because it is so counterintuitive, he'll explain that the poor in spirit are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, yes, there is a reward that we can connect with that later on, but it's not as if he's saying, yeah, endure being poor in spirit for a little while, then you're going to get the kingdom of heaven. No, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. And I want to jump back a little bit because I I have always been interested by this, that when Moses, so again, connecting Jesus and Moses, when Moses went up on the mountain, it was a fearful thing. Uh, There was a cloud covering the mountain and and it was frightful. And the people said to Moses, no, 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 you go. (laughs) We'll stay down here. Uh, but when Jesus goes up on the mountain, and, and I think this is one way of emphasizing how much greater the kingdom of God is. Mm. Uh, the law came through Moses' grace and truth through Jesus Christ. When Jesus goes up on the mountain, his disciples go with him. It's not a fi- So this kingdom of God coming uh, is this transformative moment in history which changes everything. And I think for us, again, as we're thinking about goodness, as we're thinking about pursuing the virtue of goodness, we have to do that as those who have been made members of this kingdom. And we have a king, and this king is revealing to us what his kingdom looks like. And so this then becomes the telos. You want to live the good life? Then this is what it looks like. Uh, Eric, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Jesus throughout will say this word, blessed, blessed, blessed. Um, if you wouldn't mind taking us into the Greek a little bit to talk about what Jesus means, what, what this word blessed really means. Yeah, it's a, it's an intense word. It's a deep word, a Greek makarios. It's this idea of 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 blessedness of the ultimate attainment um i think we might have mentioned it in part one when we were talking about it's that state of having attained your telos we see it in aristotle's ethics uh what is the ultimate gain uh what is your ultimate goal once you've attained it that thing is described as makarios that state of you've gotten it you're you're there um this blessedness uh happy is sometimes used as the translation for it and that can help but again it's much deeper as we talked about in part one than just that emotion of the happiness it's that this is it it's the fullness of what you've been looking for so how do you know when you've gotten there, when you've accomplished that thing? That is, and then Jesus goes through the Beatitudes and does this redefinition. Uh, and it, you know, in Latin, it becomes Beatus, this blessedness, and that's why it's the Beatitudes. It's from that Latin version. Um, and then there's been some really interesting work. Jonathan Pennington's another New Testament guy who's um, done some work on connecting makarios this blessedness with the hebrew word asherah or blessedness that we see like for example in the beginning of psalms one 
uh, in seeing this continuity of this happiness, this blessedness uh, that's ultimately defined in God's revelation to us. And so, yeah, it's ironic. The irony that I think that you mentioned is so great. It's the redefinition of what that state is. Right. Um, and so now we are redefining it. This is that state of having attained it, that blessedness, that happiness, whatever it is. Yeah, I think some of the reason it's a struggle, even that word happy, again, it can be a trite kind of word. Mm-hmm. And I think I think of C.S. Lewis talking about we're, we're people far too easily pleased, mm-hmm. right? We have these great things offered it we, we don't we can't understand a day at the beach because we're so busy making mud pies and so even that word happiness takes on almost a, a lesser tint because in our day those experiences those feelings are so uh, they don't last they're temporary uh, they so easily go away when you were talking Eric I, I thought of the happiness of the father of the prodigal son who mm. came home, mm. right? That's not, oh, hey, I'm happy to see my son. It was kill the best lamb. We're, we're having a feast because... Yeah, overjoyed, yeah. Yeah, it's this deep, <laughs> fulfilling kind of experience. But also euphoria. Um, yeah, and that makes sense, I guess, if he's starting off by saying that and that's what I was trying to say too, I guess, is that unless you can acknowledge your own poorness in spirit, then you can't move on. You can't get to this next place. Um, when you begin to understand uh, that you are in need, being poor means that you're lacking, um, that you are in need of the spirit. Um, he's redefining that. He's redefining what that even means. Um, and it begins with acknowledging it, yeah. So that's the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does poverty of spirit mean to you? And we won't necessarily go through every beatitude, or we may be here for a couple of hours, but <laughs> I, I want us to highlight some of them, and poverty of spirit is, is clearly a great place to start. So what does it mean to be poor of spirit? Um. Well, typically for me, if I think of the opposite, then it helps me understand it. So if I'm rich in spirit, then I guess that means that I have everything that I need. Um, I am not lacking. Um, and I can already immediately begin to sense that that's not true in my <laughs> life. Um, <clears throat> you know, so what is that? Is it balance, um, insight, relationship with God? Oh, there it is. Do I have everything I need in my relationship with God? Am I am I all the way there? Well, no, I'm not. I I am lacking. I there are moments uh, in my life when, or long periods, uh, when I am just yearning. Like, God, where are you in this? What really? Um, you know, we can say things like COVID. COVID where are you in this, God? Uh, when are you going to take this away? Where are you going to heal us? Um, and it's, it's for, for me, I'm understanding that to be poor in spirit is to see those places where it's, where I'm lacking uh, my relation, in my relationship with, with Jesus, is where, where am I in that? And usually it's not that he's away, it's that 
I've pulled away. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, yeah, it's this beautiful vision of just that complete and utter dependence. Um, that recognition of your ultimate humility and your need, your desperation, or whatever that deepest essence is, that, man, that has to be from God. That has to be that response. That recognition of your full, complete, and utter dependency in your spirit, in your essence, in your relationship to God in the midst of it. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasize, too, this is not a woe-is-me kind of spirit. Mm. Doesn't right. mean you walk right. around in your mercurial all the time. <laughs> it doesn't mean uh, that you are you're fishing for people to build you up by demonstrating how poor in spirit you are. You're right. The right. Eeyore complex. Or, you know, I can be guilty of this as well. Oh, well, I'm not that smart. And, and you say that sometimes, I say that sometimes, because I want someone to say, oh, no, you're really... <laughs> yeah. So it's not that kind yeah. of... It, it is a real, deep, profound understanding of our need. Uh, Martin Luther, his last words were apparently, we are beggars, it is true. And here's a guy who accomplished quite a bit in his life, but at the end of it, he recognized we're beggars. Right. Uh, we're beggars. and And so... That, Jesus says, ought to bring profound happiness, profound blessing. And the reason is because to those belongs the kingdom of heaven. Right. The thing he had just said is here now in your midst. Right. In him. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so it's not the haughty mm-hmm. that inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right. It is the very ones who know they don't deserve the kingdom of heaven who take possession of it. And we hear him say that often. The first shall be uh, last. And, 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 and the people of the day, right? The religious people of the day were that character. They're, they're the haughty. They're the ones who are lording or um, saying, I know this. I am good at this. Look at my degree. Look at my all my credentials. See, I'm good at this. And so therefore, uh, I know God. You need to listen to me. It's the Pharisee in the temple right. saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like Right. <laughs> the, that other. Right. Um, and that's radical, right? Because they're sitting on this on this hillside. And what religious leader has been saying that to them? What spiritual leader has said that? Right, because the religious leaders of the day... Are saying the you're, you're not good enough. Right. You, you don't measure up. Right. Um, and, and so... To, and again, I, I, I want to say it again because I think it's important. It doesn't mean that we're depressed and walking around sad and forlorn and all of those things. We're blessed. Right. <laughs> right? And so my lack, even John the Baptist says this, right? I must decrease, he must increase. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be our prayer. Your Father, help me in my own estimation decrease so that Jesus will increase. Was it Spurgeon who said, um, the closer I get to Christ, the more I see my decrepitness? It, it might have been. It might have been, yeah. Right? yeah. And, and I think that's kind of what he's talking about. 
You know, it's like you're saying, it's not that, oh, I'm just so sad all the time. It's more, it's more about acknowledging, oh man, I really need that. Like you were said, the word you said earlier, which I think now is desperate. Mm-hmm. It's that desperation. And then I, I think the next beatitude builds upon this. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. mourn. Um, what what is the mourning? What what is the source of the mourning here? I think one is we live in a fallen world. Yeah. The world isn't as it ought to be. When I think of mourning, I hear my mind goes to it's that sense that cry that oh, it's not right. There's, oh, I just encountered that thing that's wrong, that brokenness, mm, yeah. um, and I'm bringing it and proclaiming, this is wrong, this is broken, um, and that recognition and that dependence of, you or, yours is the kingdom, and so in that morning, there's a recognition of our brokenness, of our need, but then there's also a claim of the rightness of the kingdom uh, and that those two things are kind of together in that act of mourning. Um, you know, we go mourning, the place where our mind usually goes to is at death of a loved one, someone that we know. Uh, and that is mourning. Man, death is, is wrong and we feel it and we recognize it and then in that feeling there's also that recognition that that life is right is mm. the thing and so i think that's where my mind goes when blessed are those who mourn who recognize the brokenness that is there and at the same time who have that vision of of the good of the life that is there and there's that hope mm, yeah right yeah. because what will happen well they shall be comforted mm-hmm. um, is the other part of that and for me I think of yeah that loss that death it's there's a hole there, there there's an acknowledgement that there was a thing that was there and I don't have it any longer um, and that could be yeah like back at the fall you know this is the world that I'm living in and now I'm a fallen person I'm a sinful person and the closer I get to Christ and the more that I see my sinfulness I am just so sad about that because I know that this isn't the way I'm designed to be but this is the way that I am and 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 and, I'm, and there's hope because he's going to come in and fill that yeah. There, there's an expectation in that line it's loaded with expectation yeah. the kingdom is at hand it's near right. it's, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in my previous life as a pastor I did a number of funerals and you would often see people almost even at a funeral would often feel bad for mourning mm-hmm. well you know death is just a part of life mm-hmm. And I would always say something to the effect, and hopefully I wasn't mean about it, but I would say, yes, Mm -hmm. I acknowledge death is a part of our experience, but we also have to recognize it's not normal. It's not the way, the the reason it's, it's not just that this person that we love is, is no longer with us. We recognize that something isn't right in the world. Yeah. And it's okay to mourn that. It is okay to recognize that that's not the way it ought to be. Right. 
That's that's part of that poverty in spirit. And in that, God is the one who brings comfort because he is able to say, you're right. What happens when Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus? He wept because the world wasn't as it should be. But there was hope. But there was hope because the king had come. Um, and, and, and maybe even some redemption in that, right? Because why, why would we want to know, have knowledge of good and evil back at the garden? Why, why, would, we, why would we ever want that, right? And so here we are, you know, we've been duped. Oh, no. And, oh. I know evil now because I am evil. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, I'm sitting in it. I am it. And, and you know, it, it, in our modern era, we like to blame our evil on Satan. Well, Satan convinced me or the enemy, you know, and I did this. Man, but that really is generating from my heart. Um, I, that's what James says. I am in it. No, you're drawn away by your own lust. Yeah, no, no, that's you. Yeah, no, that's you. That evil is within you. Uh, but there's hope in that, right? For you shall be comforted. That means that there's love. That means that there is an under. There's a God who understands and knows and mourns with us. And you know, Jesus is saying, "No, this, you're right. It's not the way it's supposed to be." Yeah, one way you could read the fall is it's humanity attempting to define the good for themselves right i want to be the one who says what is good and then it's beautiful that here in the sermon of the mount we have the redefinition when humanity defines the good in the fall it turns everything upside down it mm. breaks everything oh that's a and good so way now we have this redefinition of this goodness and it seems upside down to us because we're upside down. We're the upside but down. this is really like what we're right side up created to have been uh, in this redefinition of this goodness in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, and that goes back to that counterintuitive, right? So these Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, it's opposite of what we would think of happiness. The doing of it isn't so easy. Yeah, and, and to your point, Eric, since we've now been, we, we encounter scripture and we're turned right side up, it may take a minute to get our balance yeah. <laughs> because uh, we've had blood rushing to our head for so long, right? So it might take a little bit of time to get to get our balance, but, but that's hopefully what we do when we come to a passage like this. We're reoriented. We're getting our balance. Well, let's continue. We'll, we'll look at a couple more because the pattern... Uh, we, I think we've established the pattern, but but I want us to look at a couple of more just because this this passage of scripture is is so beautiful. He says, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." Uh, what does it mean to be meek? And it, there is a building here, I think, uh, poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness. The meek are the ones who shall inherit the earth. Thoughts on on meekness? Well, I know that as as a man, my initial response is to say, I'm not meek. (laughs) Come on, I can stand up, I'm not, whatever. and, and the, the, the Amplified Bible will tell us that it means long-suffering. Um, I, I don't know what the, what the original language or any of those uh, definitions are. But when I think in terms of long-suffering, well, that, 
Okay, well that step starts to make a little bit more sense. If I understand that uh, I am poor in spirit, I am lacking in the things that I need um, in order to be a complete human the way God created, and therefore that causes me to mourn, then I understand that I am long-suffering. Mm. That I am here in this world, and this is not the way I'm supposed to be, or you, or or us, or this creation, and that is that in and of itself is suffering. And Jesus in his ministry is calling us to suffer, and it seems that, um, and I say that because I don't know with 100% certainty, but it seems that Jesus' favorite way to shape us is through suffering. And I, so I think that's a pretty consistent uh, <laughs> reading of the New Testament. <laughs> and so blessed are the meek, you know, is that fulfillment, that fullness of, of attaining that, that closeness with God, is that understanding that if I'm suffering and Jesus suffering is suffered, then I am joining with him in that. And the, the thing that you receive, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the way of inheriting the earth. It's not through force. Right. It's not through violence. Right. It's mm. not I'm taking it. It's that long-suffering. It's that dependence of, and that is the true way that you inherit the earth. And again, it illustrates those ways that so often we've seen it upside down. How do I inherit the earth? i got to go take it. I gotta have my force. I gotta be the strongest one. And this is saying, nah, that's not the way. Oh man, that's our culture right now. <laughs> that's man, right? The cowboy. Uh, no, I can do it on my own. I don't. I don't need you. I got this. I can. You know, I'm gonna turn a screw. Um, there's everything within me that wants to do that. So a friend of mine just lost her mother. It was a very uh, dear, dear person in my life. And I was speaking to her earlier today, and I said, I just don't feel like I've done enough. I want to go over there and, like, build something to make you feel better. <laughs> I, I want to do a thing to make, to, to make this go away. Um, but that's not it. There's, there's, there's no amount of that that will make that happen. And beautiful. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And no, just beautiful that the Beatitudes continue to build on that. That emphasizes it's, it's mercy. It's peacemaking. Um, that is the way. So just no, no, that's that's great. That's great. And, and so you mentioned it, but uh, for for our time here, I'm going to end with the last one that you mentioned because I think this is the blessing that our world needs maybe more than any other. And I think this is something, obviously, as followers of Christ, as those who recognize him as king, those who are members of, of his kingdom, we are the ones who can bring this to the world. And it is when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, and I love the promise here, mm. they shall be called the sons of God. Mm. There is a calling. It is blessed to be a peacemaker. And I know in my own sinful nature, I want to be right. <laughs> if, if you do something to me, my inclination maybe is to retaliate, and maybe not in violence. I'm too old for that, but maybe in what I say, maybe in the way I treat you. But Jesus said, I want to be called a son of God. Well, who are the sons of God? The peacemakers. Any thoughts? 
Yeah, you hit me and I'm going to hit you back harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's even something to be lauded um, in, in, this, in this current political state um, that we find ourselves in in this uh, country. And again, that's the, that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Um, because it's really difficult. So you were saying earlier that you know, Satan was giving Jesus the easy way out. Look, I'll give you all this stuff, right? And that's the easy way out. Um, if you if you hurt me, I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt you back because that's pretty easy. Um, but to hold it and to pray for you, and then come around and say that humility again and take a deep breath and go, okay, you were you were kind of upset with me. Have I done something? How can I fix it? Is way different than well, I'm gonna get you back, sucker. <laughs> it's way different than that. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right. And he goes on to flesh that out a little bit later on. Right? He said, you have heard it said. Right. But But I I say. And then if I can bring in Ephesians, I know that's later Pauline, not Jesus. Uh, But that continues the idea of peace and peace is possible because Jesus is the peacemaker. And so that's this beautiful way that Ephesians kind of continues to think about peace. You can be a peacemaker because Jesus is the one who's already made peace. He's made peace between you and God. Mm. And in the context of Ephesians 2, he's made peace between Jew and Gentile. And so now as the children of God, we are the ones who get to express the peace that Jesus has made. Um, reflecting Jesus as son of God and we reflect him and we as peacemakers are children of God Um, it's a peace that's possible because Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we have been reconciled and that Jesus has given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation that's that idea of peacemaking and and it made me think too that peacemaking isn't just, okay, everybody just settle down, calm down. Peacemaking is difficult because it required Jesus's death on the cross. You know, we say we're at peace with God. Oh, that's nice, we're at peace with God. Well, what did it cost? What was sacrificed? Mm -hmm. And so the blessing, you're blessed if, if you're a peacemaker. And again, to to stand before God and have Him call you His son, son of God, yeah. Because you're a peacemaker. Uh, that's that's deep, profound blessing and happiness. Deep. Any now we didn't cover them all, and um, it it would be great if if we could, but but I think for time's sake. It will be better for us to to leave it there. But any final thoughts that you have on the Beatitudes or on the virtue of goodness or anything that we have talked about today? There's one thing that just kind of came up in that last conversation, especially in Sermon on the Mount more broadly, specifically the Beatitudes. There's been a lot of conversation in the history of Christianity. Is this possible? Is this something that we are actually called to live out (laughs) as Christians? Or is it kind of this vision of what's ultimately to come in this recognizing that we're never going to be able to get there? Uh, And 
one of the things that I like about it, this idea of recognizing the Beatitudes, the Beatus, uh, that comes from Aquinas, is that Aquinas has this concept that you can have some imperfect attainment of the ultimate Beatus of mm. your beatific vision, even here now, recognizing that the perfect perfection is going to be eschatological, you know, when we have our ultimate salvation. Uh, but there's still this, he calls it this imperfect perfection, that you can do that right now. Yeah. That because of Christ of the Spirit working in us, we have the opportunity to put this into practice. We'll do it imperfectly. We're still not at that fullness of our perfect perfection. Uh, but this is the way of life that we've been called to be and, and to do. No, that's beautiful. And even I think of, of Hebrews chapter 2, uh, and the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is king. We don't see it. It's true. And so to me, it's the same kind of idea. Some theologians talk about the already and not yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's already. Yeah, of course it's not the fullness. Of course it's not everything it's going to be. Uh, and if it were, this would be a sorry <laughs> excuse for the fullness of, of the kingdom of God. But, but we have that hope that it's coming. I think it's so easy for people, um, humanity, humans, to just be uh, binary. You either are or aren't. It's either is or isn't. Um, but we're complex beings at the exact same, with the exact same heart and tongue that I'm praising my Lord, I am cursing you and saying and wishing harm upon you. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know that there is ever, uh, like Aquinas is saying, that that moment when I'm all there until I'm on, in, I'm on the other side with Jesus in paradise. Um, but I can be that mm-hmm. here. It, it is attainable. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, but I do know this, that I have lived my life on my own, by my own terms, defining what is good, and I've wrecked it. So uh, we've got to go ahead and try it this way <laughs> because there is a 19-year history that says that when I do what Jesus asks me to do, that it is blessed. Amen. Amen. Ben, thank you again for uh, coming back and continuing this discussion. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us. Certainly. It's been a joy.